Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen, and we're grateful that you've decided to join us tonight. We're here on Thursday nights to talk about polygamy and the effect that it has had on culture, or this culture in the past and also in the present. Many of our viewers um, may be familiar with the statement that was made by Joseph Smith that begins like this, and I quote, Happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof if we pursue the path that leads to it. This is from the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 255. However, we doubt if very many of our people who are familiar, viewers who are familiar with the statement actually know the context in which Joseph Smith made this statement. Well, and actually, it comes from a letter that Joseph Smith wrote to Nancy Rigdon, Sidney Rigdon's daughter, when Joseph Smith propositioned her to become one of his plural wives. Well, whenever or whenever this statement that Smith, of Smith's has been quoted, it's been pulled so far out of its context that few people really know why he said it. And that context is that he secretly attempted to entice Nancy Rigdon into a polygamous relationship with him, a married man. And she refused. And so to tempt her into saying yes, he made that statement. Happiness is the object and design of our existence. Well, obviously, he was thinking only of his own happiness, certainly not hers. And that, by the way, is a lie. The statement he made, nowhere do we find anything that's even close to that in the Bible that would make that statement true. Joseph Smith's pursuit of plural wives included the propositioning of many women who told him no. But there were plenty, 33 of them, who said yes. The foundation of Mormonism is Joseph Smith and his sexuality and his secrets and power and money. And tonight we're going to talk about the foundation of sexuality and secrets. And by the way, when we use the word Mormonism, we are including all of the Mormon fundamentalists in our statement, not just the LDS Church. It's a very sensitive subject we're talking about tonight, one that you may not want younger children to hear. It involves some sexual abuse in our culture today. So if young children are in the room, you may want to ask them to leave during this part of the show. And our guest uh, to discuss this topic has been on our show several times in the past. She is a former BYU professor and the author of a book entitled Unveiling Grace. She lives in Florida with her husband and family. And since she was going to be in our area this week, we invited her to come back as a guest on our show because we always love having her here. So without delay, I'd like to introduce and welcome back former Mormon and a previous guest, Lynn Wilder. Welcome, Lynn. 
Thank you, Doris. It's like coming home. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that way, and it's always wonderful to have you on the show, and I'm so grateful that you let me know you were coming. Um, but before we get started on this very sensitive talk, it, topic, let's, let's talk a little bit about your book. The last time you were on the show, you were on the show to talk about your book and, and to give our viewers uh, information a little bit about what's in it and your story. Um, so for our viewers, perhaps, who are not familiar with who you are or your book, would you would just briefly explain why you wrote your book, what it's about, and where someone could buy a copy? Well, I did not intend to write the book, nor did I intend for the story to be public. But um, the Holy Spirit really moved with me one morning when I was praying, and I felt like I needed to write this story. It's my story out of Mormonism, but it's also my son's story, my daughter's story, my uh, kids-in-law's story, my husband's story. Um, an entire family Don't has come to know the God of grace. Uh, it's our story from religion and laws and ordinances to resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one from the Bible. Right, and what he's done for us, not what we do for Amen. him. The man well, of grace. Where, so where can our viewers buy a copy of this book? Unveiling Grace is available on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, or you can go down to Lifeway here in Salt Lake mm -hmm. and get it. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, in, our, in your numerous invitations, you were invited to several different um, places to talk about your book once it came up to, do, to present your book and the public speaking invitations that you've had to discuss your journey from LDS religion to Jesus. You've been confronted with a problem, a particular problem that's mm -hmm. heavy on your heart and it's become a deep concern for you. And of course, this is a sexual abuse in this Mormon culture. Would you explain to our viewers what you've discovered? Well, it really began when, our, when my story became public, that people started emailing me, calling me, getting a hold of me, and telling me their stories, and asking whether they needed to leave Mormonism, and it's a very frightening thing to do to make this transition out. Well, I realized after a while, I was hearing about a lot of sexual abuse. I was hearing from, well, not just women, but also men and young men who had been sexually abused and they were living in strong Mormon families. And so this has become a real concern to me and I've started to do a little bit of research on it and I'm grateful that you are interested in talking about this topic. And it is so sensitive and, and it's good and, and we do hope that there are viewers uh, watching tonight who perhaps we can, we can help and encourage somehow. Uh, but this kind of abuse has no geographic limits but it is more prevalent, we've discovered in some of the things we've looked mm -hmm. up, in the Mormon culture so why do you think that there's so much sexual abuse and pornography in the Mormon culture, both here in Utah Mormonism as well as worldwide Mormonism? I call it the lust monster. I think Doctrine and Covenants 132 teaches men that if they're not currently living polygamy, they will be in the millennium and in the next life and or in the next life. And so it begins to stir up these ideas as they look around and think, Hmm, now who else might be another wife of mine? Pornography is a huge problem among um, 
Utah folk mm -hmm. and among people in the church. Yeah. In fact, the, some of the latest studies have shown that uh, there are more subscriptions to pornography in the Utah area than there are other areas of the country. Right. You have some um, some statistics that, that you wanted to talk about uh, uh, sexual perversions in the LDS teachings that you wanted to bring out from a Provo article about uh, abuse. This is an article that was um, came out of Provo in 2003, actually out of BYU. It says more than 90% of rapes in Provo go unreported, according to the lead rape investigator for the BYU Police Department. BYU officer Arnie Lemon said only 43 rapes were reported last year in Provo. This was 12 years ago, leaving the actual number of rapes estimated at more than 400. Now, this, Arnie went on to say this, religious Provo residents have a tendency to stigmatize discussion of sexual assault and sometimes to demonize the survivor. And we're going to find some more out about that a little later in our discussion, how they deal with the survivor. Yeah. Uh, one of the quotes from this article says, I should have died before I let him do that to me. Someone else wrote, I'm a perversion to the good saints of my church. She said she wished she were dead. Tragic thoughts like these are common among rape victims in Provo, Lemon said. So let's look into the why they would have this kind of thinking. That's not right kind of thinking, but there's a reason behind it. And we have some scriptures and some quotes from uh, people that would give a good reason behind that those statements. There, there's actually evidence that this might come from Mormon teachings. In Moroni, from the Book of Mormon, Moroni 9.9, it says, For behold, many of the daughters of the Lamanites have they taken prisoners, and after depriving them of that which was most dear and precious above all things, which is chastity and virtue. Now, if the Book of Mormon is true, then victims of sexual abuse have reason to believe that they've lost their chastity and their virtue, then they may think that the loss of their virginity makes them unclean, but it's not that true. It's not true, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, you have some other quotes before we get to that. That's very important that shows how the thinking is molded into this mode. Well, this kind of thinking comes directly from Mormon prophets as well. This is from Spencer W. Kimball in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. Also far-reaching is the effect of loss of chastity. Once given or taken or stolen, it can never be regained. Even in a forced contact such as rape or incest, the injured one is greatly outraged. If she has not cooperated and contributed to the foul deed, I'm thinking, how did she what, contribute to that? If? Yeah. She is, of course, in, in a more favorable position. <laughs> so I guess there are degrees of how much you're responsible or not. There is no condemnation when there is no voluntary participation. It, but then he goes on to say, it is better to die in defending one's virtue than to live having lost it without a struggle. And so we find out from the statements like this why these victims would have said, I would be, I would better be better off dead. Because their own prophets because. have said, that you need to struggle against it and it's better to die mm -hmm. 
than to be sexually abused. Okay, and then you've got another one from Apostle Richard Scott. The victim must do all in his or her power to stop the abuse. Most, wait a minute, they're responsible for stopping the abuse. Most often the victim is innocent because of being disabled by fear or the power or authority of the offender. At some point in time, however, the Lord may prompt a victim to recognize a degree of responsibility for abuse. Hmm. Hmm. Your priesthood leader will help assess your responsibility. <laughs> so your priesthood leader is going to determine just how responsible you were for the sexual abuse. Yes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the seeds of guilt will remain and sprout into bitter fruit. Now, this would be enough to make any victim who's already suffering severe trauma from what's happened to her. It, it would put her into a deeper trauma, a different even kind of trauma, because now they're dealing not only with the, the physical sexual part of it, now they're, they're mm -hmm. dealing with the spiritual part which may, and the emotional part, which makes it even so much worse. Shame, yes. guilt, fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Heber J. Grant. Heber J. Grant said, there is no true Latter-day Saint who would not rather bury a son or a daughter than to have him or her lose his or her chastity, realizing that chastity is of more value than anything else in all the world. Does oh. the Bible say that to No, us? the Bible doesn't say And In fact, <laughs> I would like to ask of mothers and fathers right now, our viewers, would you rather have your son or daughter killed or dead than to, than to have some, the, they lose their virtue, their virginity? Is that that important that you would rather see them in the grave? That's a horrible statement. Certainly isn't something God um, would condone. And let's end with this one again from Spencer W. Kimball. The LDS prophet, when I joined the church, your virtue is worth more than your life. Please, young folk, preserve your virtue, even if you lose your lives. And so that's what they're going by. The leaders of their church are teaching them these things. Now, this is not... Uh, only in the LDS church. The polygamy groups teach the same thing. In fact, I remember when my mother took me aside and I was just at the age to where she was starting, starting to teach me the birds and the bees kinds of thing. And she took me aside and she told me that should anybody ever uh, try to rape me, even if he held a knife to my throat, that I would not give in, even if he would slit my throat, if I didn't give in, it would be better off for me to be killed than to lose my virginity. Mm. And yet at the same time, we are being, and I had been already taught to over and over again, uh, the brainwashing procedure about polygamy. And I knew that the, my polygamist husband wouldn't be a virgin. Why, he, he probably wasn't a virgin for years, wives ago. Why did, does his wives have to be pure if he wasn't? You know, the double standard just doesn't make any sense at all within. Mm. So what makes you think, what makes them think that chastity and virtue and virginity is the most precious things? You know what Jesus said? He said that more prostitutes were getting into heaven than the religious law keepers. <laughs> he said that. He forgave the prostitutes. He forgave the woman in adultery rather than the self-righteous virgin. So don't buy the lie. Go to the Bible because God will tell you the truth and he'll t help take away your guilt and your shame. So we have a, um, a graph here that talks about some of the statistics of suicide. And we were wondering if perhaps the reason that there's the suicide um, stats are 
bad for Utah because of this very thing that they say it's better to be dead than to lose your virtue. Mm. And, and so the graph we have up there is from lifeafter.org, the website lifeafter.org. And in the year of 2000 and 2004, the males' uh, suicide rate, and this was also printed in the Deseret News of April 2006, the suicide rate was the leading cause of death in Utah for males aged 35 to 44. And the suicide was number two leading cause of death for females, uh, ages 15 to 19 and 20 to 24. So in Utah, uh, someone commits suicide every 28 hours, and a teen will commit suicide every 11 days. Would this be why? Because this threat of losing your virtue is worse than death? I think that's one possible reason. So let's look into the statistics in Utah. Just how prevalent is sexual abuse in Utah? Okay, let's look at that. The Utah Department of Health reports that in Utah, one out of every three girls and one out of every five boys will be sexually assaulted by the age of 18. Now, how does that compare with across the nation? We looked at both rates in Utah and nationally. Mm -hmm. In uh, Utah, we just had one out of three females, one out of five males. Nationally, it's only one out of six females. Wait a minute, that's double. The Utah rate is double the national rate. One out of three females is double one out of six females. Now let's look at males. One out of five males in Utah is sexually assaulted before the age of 18. Nationally, that statistic is one out of 33. Utah is six times higher. If you live in Utah, you're six times more likely to be sexually abused as a male. Um, than anywhere else in the U.S. If you're a female, two times more likely That's to be shocking. sexually abused. That's absolutely shocking. And, and this article makes clear that Utah's average is not extraordinarily higher than anyone else's. But the, the thing about this is, is that they are lower uh, in the national average, Utah is, for all other violent crimes except rape, and they're higher than the national average. So that tells a story. That's part of the story. Here. There has to be a root of that. There has to be the root, and that's what we want to talk about. Um, so you have some statistics from a 2003 uh, National Institute of Justice report. That report says that three out of four adolescents, 75% who have been sexually assaulted, were victimized by somebody they knew. Okay, someone they knew would be like a neighbor, a family member, an uh, cousin, uncle, cousin, an uncle, someone right. that they were familiar with. Family secrets. And that's what I said at the first of the show, that, that sexuality and secrets is such a big part of the foundation of this culture. Mm. Polygamy as well as uh, mainline LDS. There was a study conducted in 86 that found that 63% of women had suffered sexual abuse by a family member. Wow. Well, I've been so overwhelmed by the stories that are coming to me. I'd like to share one of those Please now. Do. 
I'll call her Jane Doe, and she's representative of many of the stories that I've heard. I was the firstborn child to active LDS parents who had been married in the temple. My father often told the story of how he felt deeply in love with me the minute we met. He said I was the beautiful manifestation of his desire for a daughter, his dream come true. About the time I was nine months old, his affection for me took on new dimensions in the form of molestation, sexual molestation. Unfortunately, I was not his only victim. As I grew, the incidences of abuse escalated. I had a younger sister that I worried about. How can I save her when I can't save myself? As my eighth birthday approached the year of accountability and my upcoming baptism, the indoctrination of my father began in earnest. I was taught through the use of the Book of Mormon scriptures and gospel principles what would be expected of me. I would be accountable for everything I did after baptism. Two, I had to do my part to keep our eternal family intact, which included keeping silent so that no one would force my father from our home. And three, I must keep the commandments to honor and obey my parents mm -hmm. using the church. That's when I first began to pray in earnest for God to bring me back home to him immediately following my baptism. A death wish that young a death for a wish. young girl. Mm -hmm. And remember the high suicide rate in Utah. But my prayers went unanswered and the abuse only continued and intensified. That death wish continued for many, many, many years. Well, my mom eventually found out and she told me to tell her if it ever happened again. A few days later, my dad invited me into his bedroom and had me sit on the bed next to him. I was instructed to hold out my hands, and he placed in them a loaded pistol. He said, if I ever told anyone, including my mother, anything that happened between us, not only would he be forced to leave our family, breaking up the eternal family, of course, but he would kill himself with this pistol. I would often come home from school to find my father waiting for me in an otherwise empty house as my mom was fulfilling her calling as the Relief Society president. Often he would be standing in the hallway wearing nothing but his temple garments. There was no escape as he took my hand and led me to his bedroom. I remember seeing his temple recommend on the nightstand as we sat down on the edge of the bed and he took my hand in the patriarchal grip and reminded me that we were as good as married in God's eyes. He also reminded me that he wasn't doing anything that God himself didn't do with his beloved daughter, Mary. And that goes with their teaching that Elohim came down and had sex with Mary to produce Jesus, <sighs> his daughter. At one point, I went to the bishop. This was after she had gotten married. I needed his help and counsel. When he learned of my childhood abuse, he demanded that I turn in my temple recommend and informed me that he would pursue a church court hearing regarding my part in the sexual activities with my father. He was of the opinion that when I became a teenager, I should have done something to make it stop. My complacency in the abuse were grounds for excommunication due to immorality. Stunned and horrified, 
I tried to explain the psychological ramifications of abuse and begged to keep my temple recommend. Then he threatened to have me excommunicated for apostasy because I didn't obey my judge in Israel when he commanded me to turn over my temple recommend. That's a horror story. That is awful that, 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 that these men can have that kind of power and control. A priesthood, a, a priesthood control over them that really the priesthood control doesn't even exist anyway in God's eyes. But look at the damage that they've done to these people. And there is a real life example of that priesthood holder trying to decide how much was her fault mm -hmm. and just what yeah. the ramifications of her fault should the, be. The fault of the victim. That's, that is, un, it's unthinkable that, 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 that they would even think that way. But why would they put the blame on the woman? They do that in the polygamy groups all the time. The woman is to blame for everything. Mm. The patriarchal order, religious order, is so damaging uh, to the people who are in. And there's just a few of the men that have the power, and they even hold the power over other men, of course, and we see uh, uh, the males, be, and we see that in the sexual assaults on the males as well. Um, children have uh, had experience with rape and attempted rape in their adolescent years. And that often means that they're more likely to experience rape in their later years as well. It really destroys the self-esteem of someone. It, it does that and, and where they're likely to be more sexually assaulted as time goes on. And this says that even in college, they, there's, more, there's more rapes with them and more sexual abuse with them than there is with those who hadn't suffered it. I know I talked with a woman and I get emails and, and people who contact me just like Lynn does um, that talks about the sexual abuse that they've suffered and they suffer for years and years after this. Um, another woman spoke to me anonymously just a few days ago and she said that when she was going to the University of Utah that it was not unusual to see young girls get engaged to get married and they would tell them that their father would have sex with them before their wedding. They're Mormon. These are Mormon families that their father would have sex with them before their wedding so that they would know what to expect on their wedding night. And of course, this is a shocking thing to hear, mm -hmm. but it goes, it goes in with what the, I, I've talked with people from the polygamy groups where they teach that uh, one of them in particular, that if whoever, whatever virginity the man takes here is become, she becomes his wife in heaven. And so that's just a motivation for him to rape anybody who is a virgin. Mm -hmm. It is it's absolutely a sickening thing. Well, and the results of that are things like anorexia, suicide, depression, drug abuse, yes. um, cutting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, the, and of course the suicide that we talked about earlier is a huge part of it. Sexually abused women are 13 times more likely to abuse alcohol and 26 times more likely to abuse drugs than those who have not been sexually abused. Those are high statistics and the drug abuse can also include, this in prescription drugs, and that also would include um, the antidepressants in Utah County is the highest uh, in the country for their use of antidepressants. So would it be that? tied to sexual abuse? What, what Some is that? Of it. Some of it, yes. Um, we already talked about the national crime rate um, being higher. So let's go to uh, the extent of the problem 
uh, what we've talked about a few cases. What is the extent? You've been in a lot of different geographical areas with some of with your information. Mm -hmm. What's the extent of the problem? Well, you know, I had nothing to hang it on at first, but I do have a good friend who's done a lot of research, and I can tell you that there are hundreds of cases out there where um, someone has been a pedophile or someone has abused children, and someone in the church was aware of it, did not report it to Child Protective Services, and then other children became abused. And so, <gasps> you know, this could be something that breaks open like the Catholic Church sexual abuse did a few mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. it w it'll be interesting, but certainly um, I think it needs to be known. Well, and the Catholic Church, uh, it did break, and they did something about it. They mm. moved in. It took them a while, and, and there was there was some, so a lot of protest before it finally all broke loose. But then they came out and did something about it to the, the perpetrators, not the victims. Mm. They didn't blame the victims. And those children need to be protected. And by every law in the United States, they must be protected. Teachers, policemen, pastors, those folks must report abuse. Um, there's no excuse for not reporting. I have an email I'd like to quote <clears throat> from a woman who, who told me about one of her problems. And she said, and I quote, I was brought up Mormon. At age 12, I was called into the bishop's office and asked some very personal questions. The one question I was asked by a 70-year-old bishop was, am I still a virgin? Now, she's 12 years old. Mm. I told him I didn't know what a virgin was, so he explained it to me. I was humiliated. From there on, I never went back. Never. Why did he want that information? Good question. That is a darn good question. Uh, and, and like I said, numbers of emails I've received that are dealing with this sexuality, with the authority, the religious authority over these young girls. And it's not just uh, the LDS Church, the polygamy groups as well, where they have these male, the patriarchs have the authority over the females, no matter the age, mm. and they have to comply or else. So we were talking again about what is the extent of this problem. Well, you know, the Deseret News itself in 2010 said this, officials are already struggling to house and treat the sex offenders who make up, what's the percentage? 30%. 30% of Utah's prison population. The national average of folks in prison who have sexually abused is 12%. We're looking at almost three times the number of sexual offenders in prison in Utah. in Utah. And those are the ones that were caught. And I thought that uh, we would bring the Bible to bear on this right here. I mm. thought it would be appropriate to do that. And it just it's a definite connection uh, between false teachers, a false gospel, and bad sex. And it comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And this is what it says. 
But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. I thought that fit well in with our topic. We don't have about. to say much when the, when the Word says when, it all. When the Bible addresses <laughs> it, that's for sure. Well, we are. Uh, we have a very important topic we need to talk now. It's halfway through the show, but let. So, I want to do this before we make our break because it's so important. So let's do this next one quickly, and then we'll break um, at, at, for the halfway point. But this is about um, an article that came out in the early '90s. Yeah, this is from an article that I found with Sandra Tanner's, one of her newsletters, um, where she reported on a 1990 memo from Glenn L. Pace, who was the second counselor in the presiding bishopric at the time. This memo went to the Strengthening Church Members Committee, and it was about ritualistic child sexual abuse and other ritualistic occultish practices that were happening right among mainstream with mainstream Mormons. In fact, Glenn L. Pace in that memo said there were as many as 800 children might be involved along the Wasatch Front in the 1990s. Now, I wasn't aware of this until I went looking for it. Even human sacrifice was a part of some of these occult rituals. Some of these folks, Glenn Pais said, were tabernacle choir members, bishops, stake presidents. Well, I don't think I could have believed it, but I came across someone recently who explained to me her experiences of ritualistic abuse at the age of three. Whoa. She said that she participated, her parents had her participate in an occult ceremony in a circle out in the woods where her thumb was cut and her blood was spilled into a mason jar. It it was called the firstborn of the firstborn. And then her father, who was the firstborn, had his cut and he spilled his blood. And then the grandfather, also a firstborn, spilled his blood. And then a woman that she knew from the church came and picked up the mason jar. She had some phenomenal stories that I wouldn't have believed, and yet the church itself admits that it was quite an issue, um, apparently, in the 80s. 
Mm -hmm. and, and we need to state here that there's no evidence whatsoever and we're not accusing the church itself of being the instigator in this because we don't believe it is. Um, however, uh, Mormon fundamentalists have also been named as being participation, participants yes. in some of this ritual abuse. And again, we cannot say the leadership are, are the instigators, and, uh, but with them, I would not say there weren't either because we don't know but well, her I've heard grandfather some, was a stake president and he was participating and yes. I have heard some things myself but without without any um, you know proof I can't say much but you know uh, there was a um, um, a woman who came uh, not in the ministry I'm in now but in a different ministry uh, a few years ago who came to us for help and she um, actually the police brought her to us and wanted to keep her as a silent uh, protected witness in a court case for ritualistic abuse and she talked to us while she was under our care and she was talking about the same kind of thing that had happened to her mm -hmm. and so we told her and, and worked with her but you know God is the only one who heals in situations like this he says mm -hmm. I am the God who heals you and he does only in Jesus is that kind of healing really available and we told her this and worked with her and helped her and prayed with her and begged her to stay with us that we would keep her safe and keep her uh, in a secret location uh, while she healed from this and in the end after the court case was over and she did what her part she ended up going back to her abusive family who had been doing these rituals with her hmm. the guilt is horrendous the threats are frightening. The fear is so terrible that, and the brainwashing, it just controls them and they can't even make good decisions. And some of this has to stem from the foundation of scriptures like Doctrine and Covenants 132 mm -hmm. that promise men that they can have more than one wife. And the eternal, eternal families, eternal sex, eternal. We did a show a few weeks ago of, of uh, eternal pregnancy for the women and eternal sex for the men. It all is part of it. The it's the foundation of uh, of the teaching. Um, so we'll take our break now, and we'll open up the telephone lines. We'd love to hear from our viewers. If there's anyone out there who's been a victim, would you please give us a call? And and we will we will do what we can. Even if you need to call us privately, we would do our very best to help you through anything that you're facing. And while we're waiting for the phone calls to come in, uh, we do have our message to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at aboutpolygamy.com. We have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. 
If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? Uh, with my guest, uh, Lynn Wilder, tonight. We have been talking about sexual abuse in the culture of Mormonism, Mormon fundamentalism, and the basic foundation of their teachings, which we uh, believe we've been able to show is what has caused some of this thinking, this mental thought that sex is such an important part of not only uh, life here on earth, but also in eternity. Of course, that's not true. Uh, anyone who says that they believe the Bible or that they believe in Jesus would need to believe what Jesus said. And Jesus said that there is no marriages in heaven, that we will all, all those in heaven will be like the angels, and that is without sex. Um, I know they don't want to believe that, but that's what Jesus said, and I prefer to believe Him. Mm. By the way, in that, my opening statement on the show tonight, who was it that said that we are in the business of making babies? Well, it's obviously from a polygamy group, and it was Winston Blackmore, who's the leader of the FLDS polygamy group in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, he had married two sisters, and he had married them the same day. Mm. And uh, he, he took one of, the, one of the girls the first night and the second girl the second night, and she wasn't too excited about it. And he just looked at her, you know, coldly and says, we're in the business of making babies. There was absolutely no love or care or anything about it. Let's just make a baby. And so, again, we don't uh, wonder why these, mm. these horrible sexual sexuality uh, and the, the crimes that take place uh, in the Mormon community. Now, we have another instance. Um, in 1975, um, George P. Lee was made uh, a general authority. In fact, he was the first Native American to be, have been made a general authority in the LDS Church. But he was excommunicated in 1989 for various reasons, which included that he was disagreeing with uh, the LDS policy on Native American programs within the church. And the, he, the reason publicly given for his excommunication communication was his criticism of their Native American policies. However, the worst of George P. Lee's crimes was not disagreeing with church hierarchy. In fact, that should be commended for that, not punished. But the real problem is what happened in 1994 when he was convicted for fondling a 12-year-old girl. Now, he's, I don't know how old he is at that, but he's a pretty old man, and she's 12 years old, and he told her that polygamy would be reinstated, and so it was okay for her to let him do what he wanted to do. Now, George P. Lee had a lot of critics about his sexual abuse, and indeed there should have been critics. But did anyone that was criticizing him for that stop to think that is precisely what Joseph Smith did? when he propositioned young girls to marriage him. There was no difference in the, the behaviors of these two men. Uh, they both used their position of authority in their belief in polygamy. Uh, their behavior would be labeled pedophile, both in Joseph Smith's day as well as today. And the behavior was illegal, both for Joseph Smith and for George Peely. So what's the difference? He was just following in Joseph Smith's footsteps. Mm. Our telephone lines are open. We invite you to call in. Give us a call. 
Um, we would love to hear from our viewers. If you disagree with this, you can call in too, as long as you allow a two-way dialogue. And our number is 801-973-8820. Give us a call. Don't wait until five minutes before the end of the show, because then you probably won't be able to get in. Uh, but the phone lines are open now. Lynn, we've talked about all this. It breaks our heart. Every time we get a new email or hear a new case, our hearts break all over again, hurting for those um, who have have gone through this, hurting for those who are afraid to talk about it, and for those who are still in the culture. They're the hugest percent of, of girls who come out of polygamy have been abused. Hmm. There are very, very few of them who come out of polygamy have not been abused, male and female. Hmm. Uh, Warren Jeffs raped many young boys in kindergarten age. It just happens. Is there any help in Utah for this sexual abuse? Well, this is something I've been looking into. I don't know if there is. In fact, I think we need to ask the audience if there are any biblical counselors, if there's anyone outside of the Mormon church um, who are Bible believers who can provide help for the folks who are coming to us. And that's what we would appeal right now. Sensitive people, people who are willing to help others in the long haul, who can, you know, have the sympathy and, and, and mm -hmm. go alongside mentoring, yeah. uh, being willing to listen and, and be the shoulder to cry on and to give the hope to these people, the hope that comes through Jesus Christ, because only He can really heal that. I know I, I, I didn't suffer this kind of abuse. I did suffer abuse in the polygamy group, but I know all of the horrid things that I remembered, uh, even for years after I uh, had trusted Jesus, they still haunted me. And one day God made me face my past, and it was an awesome experience. And I know it's only Jesus who really made me free from it, and I know it can help anybody. So if there's a pastors out there who want to get involved with this kind of help, or women's ministry leaders, or just somebody who knows your Bible good enough so that you can bring hope and help to these, we really would love to hear from you, and maybe we can even set up some kind of a, of a group where we can help with that. Be wonderful. Uh, it definitely would. Um, we do have a phone call there, but it's not ready to come in yet. So let's go back to um, a remark that you made. Um, you said you talked with someone recently whose great-grandfather had married sisters. Yeah, I didn't, I, I don't think I had realized that was kind of part of a polygamy practice that men often married sisters. And then I found out that Joseph Smith had married five sets of sisters. Five pairs of sisters he right. married. He even married a mother and daughter. Bible is very clear about that. Leviticus 18. That's <laughs> Leviticus 18. You don't it take is. both the mom and the daughter. That's right. And you're not supposed to take sisters either in Leviticus 18. Both of them are prohibited yeah. by God. But it says a man who takes a mother and his daughter was evil and he needs to be destroyed is what he said. And yet it is a normal uh, practice in polygamy group. Mm -hmm. Now, you you talked about when uh, in 2008 when the YFC Ranch uh, was oh, raided yes. and your experience and of what you learned during that time. You know, I was just finding my way out of Mormonism about that time. Mike and I were just about to give up our membership in Mormonism when the government went into the yearning, yearning for Zion, Zion Ranch <laughs> there, um, Warren Jeffs ranch and these polygamous women looked all the same to me they 
they all had pastel dresses on that were similar, their hairdos were similar, and when they were paraded in front of the media, they were saying the same phrases. And you know, I had this aha moment that that wasn't so different than my students at BYU. They dressed a lot alike, they used the same phrases. It was very kind of march to the center. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. that was a real eye-opening thing for me. I think they found out that 91 of the 148 families that had children that were removed from the ranch had definitely been uh, abused in some way. In some way or another. Mm -hmm. Now that's 62% that yeah. they discovered. That's not to mention the ones they didn't discover. So 62% of them had been abused. Marrying young, and young, young children that were pregnant, 12 to 15 uh, children that were pregnant that had had at least one or more children and were married to very old men. Now, and, and the Utah stats that we went through, one in three women would be abused. This is double that. In polygamy groups, it's double that because this is 62%. So does polygamy have anything to do with that? That idea Isn't that, a, good that a man should have more than one wife. Isn't that a good question? So we it can is. trace that all the way back to Joseph Smith. And you know what the Bible says about a rotten foundation? Mm -hmm. If the foundation is rotten, the entire building has to it go. It will collapse. Absolutely Amen. will collapse. Okay, we do have a call. Um, let's take the call on line one, Linda from Ogden. Hello, Linda. Uh, yes. You're on the air, Linda. What's your question? Okay. Um, about 60 years ago, that goes to tell you how old I am, because I was old enough to remember. Um, my grandmother, who is very good Mormon, and this was in Manti, Utah, cleaned and worked in the temple for many, many years. And they're not supposed to tell you what's in there, but one day, and I never forgot it, and I've always wondered about it, she told me that there was a bedroom with a bed in the Manti temple. And I was wondering if you had ever heard anything about this. I've not, but there was a bed found in Warren Jeff's temple. That's right. Oh, well, I know that, yeah. but I mean, this, when I was a young girl, I was probably about 15 years old when she told me that there was a bedroom with a bed. And I was, I, I spent many, many years in Manti and uh, very, lived very close to the temple. And she told me that there was a bedroom with a bed in it, mm. and I never forgot it. I always know. wondered why. I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't heard. Maybe other viewers may have heard. Maybe somebody can email us or call us and let us know if they know. Uh, maybe someone who has knows about it and has left the church and feels comfortable talking about it. But I have not heard that, Linda. Okay. Well, that was a long time ago, but yeah. I just never forgot it. And I always wondered about it and why, why it would be there. And my grandma wouldn't ever tell me something that... Mm -hmm wasn't true. Well, I believe okay, you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> okay, and we have on line two calling Patty from Ogden. Hello, Patty. Hello. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, I'm just calling. I have been watching your show tonight, and I was kind of intrigued with some of the comments from um, 
people who said that as children they were asked very personal questions by their bishop that were very uncomfortable uncomfortable for them. I was born and raised very active. My husband was a bishop twice. Um, out of my eight children, five of them left the church, and about three years ago, they were talking to me and trying to help me understand where the error was. And I remember one of my daughters, who married a Christian boy, she was one of the first Christians in the family, she said, Mom, you remember when I was having some troubles at the first of our marriage, and she says, I went to a counselor, and they, they all live in Colorado, and she says she was a Christian woman, and she asked me after the second visit, were you ever part of a cult religion? And Hannah said, yes, I was LDS. And she says, well, honey, before we go any further, we need to say a renouncing prayer. Hmm. And she says, Mom, that changed my life. It literally wow. changed my life from then on. Things were completely different. Uh, we flourished. Our marriage flourished. So I, I heard that, and I mm -hmm. thought it was a very poignant moment in my life. I thought, could there be error to the way I was taught? And so I went before the Lord and asked him to please open my eyes and said a renouncing prayer and said, I want to start over as a fresh, wow. newborn, mm -hmm. and you lead me to truth. And I'll tell you what, he, he opened did. my eyes. It was like scales. Blinders fell mm -hmm. off my eyes. Mm -hmm. And Jesus came into my life. And now my youngest daughter has become a Christian and so six out of my eight have, but I guess my point is, in this process, many of my children have said, I uh, mentally left the church the day my bishop asked me, do you do this? Do you mm -hmm. do this? Do your younger Inappropriate questions. Yes. They asked the most horrible questions. I mm -hmm. said, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I'm so sorry. And so, but yet I'm so grateful that that was the beginning of yes. their journey out saying, this, if this is God, I want nothing to do with him. If this is, you know, how you, I'm going to, I don't want to raise my kids this way. I want something different. So I, I praise God that, that he opened their eyes, that he opened my eyes. This Christian woman, hearing my daughter's story in yeah. Colorado, the knowledge that this Christian woman had mm -hmm. about what these cultic religions, thank you. Now, most people there don't know that's what it is, but but that education, when I heard my daughter's story, that mm -hmm. was the moment that God used, and I thought, oh, my goodness, could this be? That's great. And that those people are trained. There are people trained. I don't there know is. if there's anybody in Utah. Well, we, we, we need, need to find some. We need to find some that are. Thank you, Patty. Uh, we do appreciate your phone call very, very much. And it is so true uh, what she said. Um, if you ask for the truth, God will give it to you. There's no doubt about oh, that. Oh, look out. We vote, yeah, and look out, like she said. He sure did it, and he did with us. Uh, you know, we've only got a few seconds left. I want to read uh, something that somebody from a polygamy group wrote, a young man. He said, when I was younger, there were things that happened to me and to my sisters that I didn't even know was a crime. I didn't even think it was bad at all. Now that I'm older, and think for myself, I can sort out some of that stuff. So that shows you, and that was from a young man, and that just shows you um, where the, the abuse is at. Boys, girls, rape, 
in both cases. Oh, so unfortunately, very young children. Very young children too, infants even. I've heard many infant stories too. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you so much for coming. And we may be doing this okay. again because there's so much more to share. And uh, like we, I've said in the past, the primary purpose of our show is that to bring biblical truths to polygamists and to everyone else who want to believe that God commanded polygamy to Joseph Smith. Every Mormon fundamentalist polygamy group claims that God commanded polygamy, that he commanded Abraham and David and, and Jacob to live it. And But we continue to challenge our viewers to find a single verse or a passage proving that God gave a commandment for polygamy. It's obvious that uh, the polygamy and the sexuality of Early Mormonism has set the foundation for today's sexual abuses. But those who know the Jesus of the Bible know and understand that the holiness of God does not permit sexual abuse and sexual promiscuity and adultery that they call polygamy. God's plan for our eternal life is only through Jesus Christ and there's no other way. The way paid by early Mormonism is littered with broken lives and broken hearts since Joseph Smith first threatened Emma with destruction if she didn't accept the extramarital affair with 33 other women. We pray that you will reject as rubbish everything that you have ever achieved in your attempt to please God. And instead, just trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Your attempts mean nothing. Jesus did it all. Anything or any, anyone else that you ever trust to help you gain eternal life is rubbish. So ask your Creator for His truth to be made real in your own life. And His truth is that the only way into heaven is by making a life-changing stop at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Thank you for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you.